For December 25th, 2017, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 495. Star Wars The Last Jedi, The Dark Side Podcast. This is the Overthinking It podcast where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The overthinkers are like your smart, funny, mortal enemies from the internet. And we are talking about the dark side of the Force as we discuss Star Wars The Last Jedi. I am Matt, the last podcast host, and I'm here with my mortal enemies in reverse alphabetical order because this is the dark side podcast richard rosenbaum richard hello goodbye matt (laughs) (laughs) mark lee mark farewell (laughs) peter fenzel peter give in to your hate (laughs) i haven't had my muffin yet matt (laughs) and ben adams ben the dark side is strong in you see you around kid (laughs) 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 all right we're we're still talking we're still talking the last jedi last week we talked about the light side of the force we did the light side podcast this week the dark side podcast so uh the last jedi last last week uh in order to uh kick off the light side podcast we asked who is the hero of this movie and uh, in the uh, in the Dark Side podcast, I'm going to ask a slightly more sinister question, which was describe if you are able in five sentences the plot of this movie. What is the plot of Star Wars: The Last Jedi? Uh, we're going in reverse alphabetical order. I'll still keep myself for last so that I don't uh, uh, so that I don't you know take uh, take someone's good idea uh, and I'll come up with something at the end. But but uh, Richard. Short paragraph, high school essay-sized paragraph. What is uh, what is the plot of Star Wars: The Last Jedi? Okay, a bitter old man uh, is inspired by a beautiful young woman not to give up on himself, and in fact, uh, b- re- believe again that he can be relevant to the culture at large. So it's a Woody Allen movie, is what you? Yeah, it's Woody <laughs> Allen. <laughs> or it's you know 500 days of uh a long time ago <laughs> uh mark uh what's the plot of this movie <laughs> a scrappy band of young children learn that when a uh, institutionalized paramilitary force royally poops the bed and fails to protect the galaxy, it's up to them to take their broomsticks and use them as lightsabers to save the galaxy. Okay, so it's like uh, it's like uh, Beauty and the Beast. It's marching on the castle with like pitchforks and a spade. Uh, I was thinking more like Newsies, except in space. Yep. <laughs> and less literacy, because people in Star Wars can't read. As we established last week, uh, Pete Fenzel, what is the plot of this movie? So it's a Kafka-esque nightmare wherein a career military officer, General Hux, attempts to accomplish a very simple task, but runs into every conceivable possible problem of his own of the devising of all the people around him up into and including only having one giant gun that he can point at a door <laughs> that doesn't work uh, and, and it is about him continually descending into madness wherein he just yells at people to fire lasers more and more at things uh, and and utterly and totally fails in the end uh, even in the utter completion of his objective uh, it, it's really is really about the futility of career success in the modern world when the individual is irrelevant and uh, and and uh, error is the order of the day. So it's about it's about the Trump cabinet. <laughs> no, it's, it's about it's about the, the little two of, on the nose. It's a, <laughs> Sorry, it's about the launch of Star Wars Battlefront Two by Electronic Arts. <laughs> oh, <laughs> uh, ben Adams, what is the plot of this movie? 
Uh, this movie is The Great Space Chase, uh, or I guess like Mad Leia Fury Space. I don't know. It's, uh, it's basically just the plot of Mad Max where it's one extended chase scene uh, played out over like a long period of time. So, yeah. they don't go anywhere. They're just like in nowhere. It's a slow speed. Uh, it's a slow speed chase. It's, it's you know, the opposite of the Fast and the Furious. It's, it's the slow and the almost unbearably measured um, and and uh, my my answer is that this is the story of uh, uh, it's a brave story of a vice admiral Laura Dern born without the ability to close her mouth while on camera. <laughs> Do you, you don't mean that, that metaphorically. No, 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 I mean that literally. There's not like a shot. She leaves her mouth open. Not like she keeps talking, but that like no, she no, leaves no. her mouth open while no, standing No, 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 still. I mean like she stands agape all the time yeah. in this movie. She's, <laughs> she's, she's amazed by literally everything, right. uh, everything around her. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting. She's, she's something that – that character is something that, that we should talk about as the dark side progresses. But like I think that, that uh, you know, in the light side of the force w- – d- <laughs> Sorry, let me start over. Like like a different Disney property, Zootopia. This is a film. <laughs> this is a film with a lot of uh, sort of visual flair and style, wit, uh, interesting and and um, compelling images, and a lot of at the micro scale, a lot of moments that are thrilling or charming or satisfying. Uh, and that when you zoom out to the macro level, it may not hang together <laughs> <laughs> in a coherent... Get into your hatred, Matthew. No, I actually Break didn't. this movie down. Look, your journey to the dark side will be complete. <laughs> I'm not... I, no, 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 no. I come to bury the last Jedi, not to praise him, right? Like, well, no need to bury him because he just, like, disappeared. Or her. He, oh, I guess... Well, right. Like, she hasn't evaporated <laughs> yet, but, like... Hyro did. They they don't they don't need to get buried they they like evaporate their clothes their clothes just sort of fall to the fall to the ground um, it doesn't to- like as as a uh, I, I've talked to a number of people who have said like as I went back and reconsidered maybe there were a couple of uh, there there were a couple of things that didn't totally hang together one of them is the uh, the Finn and Rose space misadventure where the whole B plot of the movie turns out to be utterly pointless. <laughs> what do you mean, Matt? <laughs> Wait, right. Like, it's not like the MacGuffin. And that's, that just seems like bad manners from the filmmakers, right? Because the MacGuffin is always pointless on some particular level. But you don't have to pull the rug out from the audience and say that, like, this journey that you just spent, you know, 90 minutes watching these characters go on uh, actually doesn't really matter. And, like, right at the finish line, we're going to snatch um, snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. Uh, uh, Indiana Jones does this, too, right? Uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark would have been identical if... Uh, Indy had not been along for the ride. Nothing different would have happened. All the, <laughs> well, the Nazis would have opened the the ark, and they all would have been face melted, and the, the same exact thing would have would have resulted. There was no other than the government getting the getting the ark. There would have been no difference if he had not been in the movie at all. So, well, I, I think there, I pointed this out. On our, I think I pointed this out on a Return of the Jedi overview. Which is that in Return of the Jedi, Luke's entire battle with the Emperor is completely irrelevant to the plot of the movie because that has no bearing whatsoever on the rebels on the ground being able to shut down the shield and has no bearing whatsoever on the rebels in space blowing up the Death Star. We talked about this a little bit last week that there's kind of a supernatural religious plot and a uh, a military I mean a military plot. Ben, I mean I'd I'd be curious at at the level of kind of military strategy and tactics. What do you think of like go very slow as a uh, (laughs) (laughs) I I I actually really dug the whole space chase thing for a couple of reasons. Mm. One is the, the visual language of most star Wars space battles is kind of a mess. Like there's not really any sense of geography about where things are in relation to another, except in like the grossest terms. So I really like that this had a really clear dynamic, like where the ships were in relation to each other. 
And I also like that it actually turned on like the technical capabilities of the ships. Like fuel was a problem. Relative max speed was an issue. Whereas normally this stuff is just kind of hand waved away as like, is this hey, let's jump, the, battleship let's jump the in a space plane and fly around. So is this right. another battleship, the movie where it's like surprisingly accurate from a naval perspective is what you're telling us. <laughs> <laughs> right. and the, like that far. <laughs> yeah. And the, and the, the dreadnoughts, um, cannons become less effective over distance yeah like stuff like that where like yeah. the that the thi- the technology felt like actual technology as opposed to like magic hand wavy stuff mm. um like the the bombing sequence at the beginning worked great like that was just a, a, yeah. a great scene again where because, because you knew where everything was and you had a sense that like there was a logic to the way everything worked. Well, is, the logic of the the logic of the gravity and the bomb kind of. Well, you know that that's always a problem in Star Wars, yeah. where like there's always an up and there's always a down in the battles right. in Star Wars. Yeah, and that's but there there was a clear down, right? Like, and it it was that yep. was done in a in a way that actually served the story and kind of made it seem uh, made it seem good and it was thrilling. And by the way, mm-hmm. that like that moment again, like it pre- presented a a clear set of physical challenges for uh, it's Rose's sister, right? Right. Uh, right. Not and not like her BFF, uh, it, who has the other half of the of the medallion. Um, it's the, one of millions of clones of Rose from Genosha that have been produced <laughs> for the next movie. It'll just be clones of Rose, as far as the eye can see, all running after Finn with her arms open and puckering her lips, saying, like, we had a moment together, Finn, come back! It's, that's, that's just going to be this, that's going to be reverse Pepe Le Pew, times infinity. <laughs> um, that, uh, that, in that, in that scene with Rose's sister, right, like, the, there is... Uh, up the ladder, falling down the um, the bomb remote control. So, I mean, this is actually a great like for sort of hardware design, right? Like, have multiple places where you can release where you can release the bombs, right? Don't make it. I mean, what if that remote control had been out of batteries and and suddenly so, suddenly, as in Battleship, when it's like they are lugging this, uh, they're lug. I forget what it was. They're lugging this torpedo uh, through the the gangways of the ship, right? Like the the they're um you know you're you're running looking for a nine volt battery i don't know it was not super designed but it it had great sort of relatable physical constraints um it established them with great visual uh kind of efficiency and uh made you really feel for that character and the sacrifice that that she had, which is a sort of a combination of the the filmmaking and the acting, but this is the dark side <laughs> of of the podcast. So let's say mean things about. It. But it makes no sense. It makes no sense. Why can't the emperor just light speed one ship like a little bit in front? <laughs> like they can go faster. They're just not going faster. Like why don't they have another ship that's somewhere else go in a direction in sort of a curve that goes around and is in front of where they're going? Only like, only one ship can have this uh, this tracking thing. Honestly. Yeah, but it can track the other ships. Can't they have a? Don't they have like a line they can chart? Apparently uh, they, not. <laughs> and well, also, on the, how, <laughs> they on have the flip, on the flip oh, side sorry, of that. On the flip side of that, Matt, you were talking about like moments that work that don't really make sense. Like mm-hmm. the moment where Vice Admiral Holda goes to hyperspace and it, there's like that silent light effect, mm-hmm. like that got like vi- audible gasps in my theater. That was a great moment. But on the other hand, I was like, wait a second, that was an option. You had like four or five hyperspace capable ships that you just let get blown up with a guy on board. Why didn't they? Why didn't all of those ships just turn around and go to hyperspeed and blow up all the Empire ships? Ah. Oh. Man, it's just and it, uh, why? How? Well, first of all, how come is is so when they're opening the bomb bay doors, are they just exposed to the vacuum of space? Is that and it's just like okay in that in that part of the first part of the movie? And and if they have these bombs that they can just drop on a dreadnought with all of its armor and shielding, how come uh, it's so hard to blow up the metal door? Or the wooden door, and we have to bring in like miniature Death Star tech, and we can't just like lob a basketball at it with a can of catapult, right? Or even like I don't know, like use a hammer or something. I don't. I don't. Well, that's because but, the dreadnought was down, and the door is like, sideways. <laughs> <laughs> you know, why did Paul Dameron think the dreadnought was a fleet killer when the dreadnought is incapable of killing the fleet? Like, why? Is, 
Sorry, I, I just I get a little bit worked up. It's it's what is it? Anger leads to fear. Fear leads no, to no fear. Fear leads to anger. Fear leads to anger. Anger, anger leads to hate. Hate. Hate leads to the trade federation, <laughs> and then the trade federation leads to Count Dooku, and then that's the dark side. And Got Count it. Count Dooku's yeah. connected to the Nebo. Then the Dooku's connected to the knee bone. All right, I'm on board. I'm on board. <laughs> well, I, I mean, there wasn't a lot of Dooku in this movie. It's, it was PG-13, I think, right? And that's uh... and Dooku would have been too sexy. They would have had to rate it R. <laughs> <laughs> hello, hello, Minister. Thank you for coming. Ah, oh, let's do Yoda. Let's see your skills with the lightsaber. Uh, sorry, I, I just love Dooku. So you said that the plot with Finn and Rose is pointless. I would like to uh, to list a formal complaint. <laughs> well, fortunately, there's no bureaucracy here because I am controlled by the dark side. <laughs> Let's see if your Schwartz is as big as mine. <laughs> the Supreme Podcaster is dead. <laughs> Force grab. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, Matt straight up sucks. Uh, <laughs> um, no, so the point. Okay, so you guys saw Finding Dory, right? Y- yes. Go yes. on. Finding also, Dory, also another Disney movie, by the yes, way. Yes, Finding Dory is to a large extent a propaganda film by the Walt Disney Corporation theme park division to tell you not to go to SeaWorld, to try to ingrain in children <laughs> that going to SeaWorld is bad uh, and that you should go to the Disney theme parks. Uh, the last Jedi segment where they put a, uh, I'm assuming that Rose is Chinese, she may not be, but the casino... She's Vietnamese, but continue. She's Vietnamese, okay, she's Vietnamese. The casino did look a lot like Macau to me, like Space Macau, uh, but it, but regardless, it, this was an indictment of non-Disney related vacation resorts. <laughs> that like everything that you can do at the place that they go to is the only stuff you can't do at a Disney vacation resort, right? Like like gambling. Can you you can't gamble at a Disney resort, can you? They don't have like casinos. Maybe somebody can correct me. They don't have like horse racing or llama racing or like Pokemon racing or whatever it was they were doing with the Vulpexes. No, no, um, no, sir. They do not. And this is a movie that is about like moral vagary and like the light side and the dark side kind of live together. And you have to understand that like maybe it's not as simple as there being good guys and bad guys and it's all the same. Except you know who stinks? Casinos stink. Screw <laughs> casinos. Like we love you, the Walt Disney theme park division. Uh, I mean, I'm not really joking. <laughs> that's the thing. I kind of think that that's what happened. But yeah. maybe that's my own little So, so while, well, while, you were, while you were talking, oh, I Googled and found an article about how Disney is fighting casinos in Florida. Like, <laughs> uh, actually lobbying for laws to make it harder to open casinos in the state of Florida. There yeah, you go. As, I'm not making this up. As, <laughs> as soon as Disney uh, buys Las Vegas, they're going to have to uh, they're gonna have to George Lucas this whole movie and uh, make it a little less... Uh, a little less anti-Vegas, right? Right, anti-Vegas. exactly. Like how make make it about how you go to like uh, provocative circus shows with scantily clad performers or something like that. Right? <laughs> yeah, like, and and Disney does have uh, Disneyland doesn't have casinos, but they do have uh, droids. <laughs> so they're not cruel to animals, but they are uh, cruel to animatronics. <laughs> yes, yeah, this movie does take no stance on animatronics. Right? <laughs> It is not animatronic. Is it? Have, have you noticed how there's no entertainment in the Star Wars universe? That there's no sort. There seems to be no. Well, like, there's that holographic chess game. It was the Cantina Band. Boop, 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 yeah, there's boop, music. Boop. Yep. People okay. go to bars. The worst people go to bars. I guess. Yeah. Well, the, the the worst people go to Space Macau. Like the best people <laughs> go to Maz Kanata's bar. And and uh, though though I really uh, I really like um, d- disapprove of her position vis a vis the labor movement. Uh, because I, th- I think unions in general are entitled to, if not utter deference, then at least respect. And you would uh, say that you left wing uh, coastal. So elite. wait, so wait. When does Mascatana bust down with the Pinkertons? And no, is that even her name? I think Mas- you- <laughs> Mas- Mascatana is, I think, a uh, a model of sword. Okay. <laughs> no, no, I think she was from or, or Katana is what it is. <laughs> she, was, she was in Mortal Kombat, wasn't she? Yeah. Okay. So what is the name of Yeah, Mas, Mas, Mas Katana is what uh is what 
um, they needed in Coco to sort of cut down the land of the the land of the dead. <laughs> no, uh, uh, Mascanada. That she. Uh, why was she fighting? She said, "I'm sorry." <laughs> she said it was a. She says it was a union dispute. Yeah, exactly. She right there. She was. She there was a uh, job action. There was like a, a work stoppage. What? This actually yeah. happened in this movie that like yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah. What else happens in this movie that I totally missed? It's so confusing. <laughs> did you I mean did you not when when they are facetiming her to get a reference to Space Benicio del Toro? Right. This movie makes no sense. <laughs> right. Like, <laughs> right. she uh, and she recommends Space Benicio del Toro. Who or does she? But, does she recommend some other person they never meet? Anyway, continue. <laughs> well, there's there's a good point. Like, does she put them right in the spot they need to be, or do they screw up their mission? You know, after all. Um, yeah, so that whole uh, that whole thing. She is in the middle of a pitched uh, blaster battle. Do you recall this? She's trying to murder her employees. <laughs> She's trying to discipline her employees. I'm, I'm, I'm willing. I'm willing to. I'm willing to give her the benefit of the doubt and assume that they've started it. She's yeah. fighting for their right to work. <laughs> So, so realistically, she's speaking euphemistically about a gunfight that's broken out at her supposedly seedy bar, which we've, of course, seen has been thoroughly sanitized and is not seedy at all. Uh, but she's she's saying, speaking euphemistically about a fight that's broken out at her bar as being like a labor dispute because it's hilarious to joke about not paying people. I was taking work. her at her word. I think okay. it was literally her her employees had risen up against her. And when they uh, and when they, 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 were, open... they, were, they were the waiters were trying to seize the. Uh, <laughs> Have you ever read Yosha guidelines? Page turners, they are not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so some other reprehensible people in this movie are the arms not not only the miners, not only the capitalists who who run bars. <laughs> Uh, not only the miners who who mine ore and who uh, kill Rose's family, uh, but also the the arms dealers, the uh, the Nicholas Cages in what was it called? God of War, Lord of War, Lord of the Dance, or uh, Lord of War? <laughs> yeah, there was, there was a pretty good Nicholas Cage movie. Yeah. Uh, it's um, a good movie. I remember seeing it. I think it was called. Uh, it was called Wrath of the Titans. I believe. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, yeah. I think it's Lord of War. That's what it's called, right? Was the it called? Movie. Was it War? Was it War Dogs? Are the ice? Uh, are the ice creatures War Dogs? The the ice critters? No, they're um, salty. But <laughs> <laughs> but the uh, you know the whole empire is going to have a problem with its uh, currency valuation if ore is the biggest and only industry. I'm just going to say that no arms dealing. So spa- space Benicio del Toro wants to talk a load of s right about how there's no moral difference between the sides because they both uh, you know like uh, uh, you fight you shoot them they shoot you and the green grass grows all around all around and like the the arms dealers. Uh, uh, sell not only uh, ATATs, uh, not only imperial weaponry, but also like X and Y wings and and things like this, and that so that so that everything is morally morally equivalent, which doesn't make any sense given the whole plot of this movie. Have I been watching Star Wars wrong this whole time? <laughs> Maybe yeah, Benicio I mean, the, Del Toro has been watching it wrong. <laughs> Good, just, bad, I'm the one with the lightsaber. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the line, which I think really worked, was the, these are the worst people in the galaxy, and you're expecting another CD bar, you know, like the, you know, uh, cantina, but it's not. It's a casino, you know, with full of these rich people, and it, it, that, that line really landed. But when you think about it, it's like, no, you're running from the worst people in the galaxy, the genocidal first order. Like we when it like I get it, arms dealing is not the best, but like the people using the weapons are generally accepted. Ben, say what you will about the tenets of national first orderness. At least it's an ethos. <laughs> they just right. blew up like a half dozen planets. <laughs> exactly. like, this isn't even like the Emperor, where he's like trying to make bureaucratic reforms that everybody thinks are going to lead to things being 
being worse in the future. Like they are literally genociding their own population for it's, no reason. I mean, not like half a dozen planets, like like uh, dozens and dozens, if not hundreds of planets, right? Yeah. Look, look, look. Death stars don't kill people. People kill people. <laughs> look, I have no idea how many planets are being blown up in this movie franchise right now. It just seems to not be a number that the movies are keeping track of in a way. Isn't any more than zero, meaning that the first order is still worse than the guy selling the weapons? (laughs) (laughs) What about the guy working at the casino? Is he terrible and deserves to be trampled by a space Vulpix llama, too? Like, I don't think so. I don't get it. I don't get it. Okay, so let's step back for a second. Yeah, he's he's, he's colluding. It's fun to poke a lot of the holes at the, the logic of these things here, but let's take some of what we learn about the galactic war and the galactic arm trade and the galactic economy at face value, right? Okay, so Benicio del Toro steals a ship from a specific arms dealer who's selling weapons to both sides. Okay, I get that. That's not really an indictment on one side or the other, but and then you know, there's people go on to say that, um, you know, uh, you know, in, in war, you know, there's always someone who profits from it. Uh, you know, war is a is a is a business in a certain way. These things can be true, again, without making a moral equivalent argument between the First Order and uh, and the resistance. No, I think so. I mean, to cash that out, it would be the example of like, you know, a war profiteer in the U.S., you know, in let's say World War Two, because I mean, World Star Wars is always you always have to kind of track back to like space Nazis. I mean, that's that, that's where the this movie really lives. You know, if someone is like a, you know, profiteer in, you know, the U.S. in the 1940s, like, yes, they're helping fight the Nazis, which is good. Uh, but it's maybe not like the most noble profession, particularly if they're like, you know, raking huge profits while everyone else is suffering from this war. So, you know, maybe it's possible to, to just be talking more generally about the distastefulness of profiting off of suffering. Right. Well, I mean, Benicio del Toro is true neutral. In here, right? Like he doesn't have any ideals at all. He's willing to, uh, at the at the drop of a hat, um, change sides based on which way the wind is blowing. I don't know. He's 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 neutral evil though because of his self interest. Uh, he's he makes a deal with whoever's going to save his skin at any given time. Well, I mean, he's kind of the other side of Han Solo in a way, right? Like he's given that same choice. He could help the good guys or he could just take the money and he decides to take the money instead of helping the good guys. But he would, you know, he was happy to help them when it was to his benefit. So his philosophy is, you know, there's no good, good or evil. There's no dark or light. And it's all just, you know, everybody's the same. And so don't worry about anything. Um, Just do what's good for you. Um, which is important to think about in the context of this movie, but which the movie, I think, ultimately rejects. It's right. It's, it's not the movie standpoint. Right. Not but it's, yeah, right, but it's, exactly. not, it's, it's not, not even movie. at at risk of being the movie's standpoint. Right. Like it's no, it's like, but it's, but it's you know, important for the movie to, to, to acknowledge the existence of that. Standpoint. It would be like it would be like if someone like busted into a production of 12 Angry Men right into the middle of it and said, I think that tuna salad is a superior sandwich to a BLT. It has no it has no place in that discourse. <laughs> right. Like it's not it's not there's no peril associated with with that moral position because it's so obviously wrong. Well, it's, here's a, uh, sorry, go ahead. No, it, 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 yeah. I'm, so, I'm so done. there, you know why there's, here's why there's no moral peril associated with this statement. We have no freaking idea what Snoke wants or the extent of what the first order even is or what it is trying to accomplish or how far it has progressed in trying to accomplish it other than stopping the resistance. And and as such, we have no idea. Like the the immediate comparison that comes to mind is Casablanca, where in Casablanca, there's this sense that World War II is is ramping up and happening, and there are Nazis out there, and there are Vichy French out there, and there's Americans, and there's British and French and Czechs, and and they're all fighting each other, but they're not fighting here. Here in Casablanca, we have a certain amount of removal from them, and we're a place where people come to kind of get away from it a little bit. But the 
the trouble follows them here. And, and so there's this dynamic of like, well, we're not really near Germany and France, but we're not so far away that we can totally extricate ourselves from the situation. I have no idea where Space Macau is relative to the First Order. I have no – is Snoke tolerant of like a market economy? Is, well, is Snoke so- like – like Snoke's like, oh, you know, I really – what I want to do is establish domination over very small core territory, but everybody else is going to be allowed to function as client states and, and maintain their own way of living and have parties and their own fortunes, and I'm not going to confiscate any of it. Like so- Palpatine ran a tight freaking command economy ship as far as I could tell. Uh, in his, in his- <laughs> anyway, I think, I think what's going on – I think what's being implied at least – and probably the um, the new extended universe stuff goes more in depth into this because that's what they do. Um, uh, the The Republic government, the government of the New Republic in general, um, didn't consider the, the 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 First Order a threat. They said, "Okay, we're we're in charge now. We're the government, and the First Order is not really a big deal. They're off doing their thing, and yeah, they're they suck." But like they want to overthrow us, but they don't have a chance, and that's why um, the resistance exists because um, Leia and whoever decided to follow Leia um, said, "No, you're dramatically underestimating the threat that the First Order has." So the First Order has what it has is um, it has. Uh, let's see, how do I put this? Like it's, legacy imperial military resources. Well, that too. So, but I think it has relationships with corporations, right? Oh, really? Because that's yeah. not in the story at all. It's not. <laughs> no, it isn't at all. But I think that that's what has to be there. They are very much invested in manufacturing stuff <laughs> in a way that the government isn't. That's where the jobs are. In the in the first order, they have the jobs. They're, oh, they're going to put the galaxy back to work. They're going to make the galaxy great again. Yep, that's, that's exactly it. They're the ones manufacturing everything. Yeah, their arms and their you know giant space stations to destroy the actual government. Um, but they have the money. They seem to have uh, like limitless resources in a way that the uh, the, the the government of the New Republic. Didn't have at all, and the government of the New Republic were also just in one place. They had their capital planet, and you it, and it was easy for the the first um, for the the first order to wipe out all the all of the gains that the uh, that the New Republic had made over the past decades by destroying one planet. And, they destroyed like a bunch of planets. Well, they destroyed, but they were all in the same. Or planet. is it? Oh, they're the same system. The same or system, yeah. Right. Um, they they wiped out the entire government, so there's now they're in, it's in a state of of anarchy, basically. Um, the resistance are not the government, but they're also not like what they were resisting originally wasn't actually the ruling power, right? Right. It was it was a it was the threat to the ruling power that the ruling power was not taking sufficiently seriously. So they were basically a sock puppet activist organization set up by the government <laughs> to protest against the opposition party. Well, they were guns. tolerated by the government, but they right. weren't but they weren't a government. They were a hand, they were a, an arm's length. Yeah. The fact that we're even like getting this level of conversation shows how much the political aspect of the new trilogy is really a weak point compared to the original trilogy and dare I say even the prequels. No, right? can I sorry, I just can I go oh, back to Oh, thank you for coming to my meeting. I'm Count Dooku. It's great to see you all here. Sorry, go ahead. Can I go ahead. can I sorry, I just I just have a question. Why is it why does it matter if we tax trade routes? Uh <laughs> <laughs> Blow it all up! <laughs> That's what General Hux is screaming. Fire the lasers! <laughs> Kylo Ren saying, fire the lasers, and Hux is saying, fire the lasers! <laughs> <laughs> it's the equivalent of, uh, you know, hitting... Uh, receiving uh, an email from your boss and then forwarding it along uh, to the people that work for you, <laughs> and that being your job. 
Yep. We've all been there. It's all good. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, but they killed Snoke without explaining in any of the movies what he was trying to do other than just be a bad guy. Well, right. Like, right. what the, the, the. He what? wanted to rule the galaxy, you know. He never said that. Did he? Maybe he said it. I don't remember. Well, and it's a shame because they. I really liked what they kind of did with him because in, the, in Force Awakens, Snoke was very much just like Palpatine Part 2. To, to the extent that people, I, I know a lot of people speculated that he was actually Palpatine somehow, like resurrected from the dead. Uh, and so, one thing that this movie did, and then threw away immediately by killing him off, was by actually giving him like a slightly different character than the Emperor because uh, he was like a hedonist. He has like this gold robe in this fancy red room that that is like a complete contrast from the Emperor's like stark industrial throne room. He's space. He's space Christian Gray. <laughs> I just thought he was the villain from Justice League with his hat knocked off. Like that, that's what he looked like to me. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so you're saying that Snoke is like a decadent Caligula figure, right? Who is like what? leading a, a crusade of well, follies, and that's, and that's the way they could nunchuck people with light that's, nunchucks. That's the way they yeah. could have set this up, but then they killed him off. And so whatever whatever work they put in to make us care about. Snoke, which I don't know if anybody cared about Snoke, uh, whatever work they put in was instantly thrown away by saying, well, he's irrelevant now because he's gone and we never knew what he wanted. You'll never know what he wanted. And it's probably not important. So right. let's just move it on. It was extremely frustrating for sure. Right. You know, we don't know where his lineage is from. Was he Palpatine? Was he Darth Plagueis? Perhaps. Uh, what did he really have to sleep? What was his end game? If, if we're being charitable, and I know this is the Dark Side podcast, but um, to just play me out here on this idea. Um, it's part of the creative and artistic project of this movie to subvert Star Wars tropes, yep. which is just say like yeah. the big bad, like all the lessons you learn from previous Star Wars movies are is certain. A lot of them are wrong. And that well, these very simplistic ways of viewing problems and conflict and things like that are insufficient, uh, at least for this story that we're telling, um, which right. is why we have, you know, like, uh, you know, Luke Skywalker says that, you know, he can't just pick up a lightsaber and go take down the First Order by himself. Like this aristocratic hero type of thing, it just it just doesn't work. And likewise, the notion of a big bad um, being out there and you just take him out, like the head vampire theory we talked about this before. Uh, you just take out the thing at the top and everything collapses at the end. That's not how this works. Snoke died and, you know, Kylo Ren and Hux are still out there doing super bad stuff and keeping on the fight. So that's my charitable read of it. But at least from... The expectations and storytelling tropes that we're used to, though, it is still frustrating. Though. Wait, so it can be both. They're so, doing to be su- fair, yeah, they're doing super but- bad stuff. They really are space hedonists. <laughs> <laughs> and to be fair, before we all leave this world, we will probably see a, a prequel movie that explains where Snoke came from because Disney's going to keep making these things for yeah. another decade or two, uh, and there's plenty of, of holes to fill in. But I mean. I, I think you do have to think about this in the context of the way these movies were made, because this movie was very much Ryan Johnson, the director of this movie, like setting fire to J.J. Abrams mystery box, mm-hmm. because that's like J.J. Abrams thing is you got to have this mystery box. You got to have who's Snoke, who's Ray, who, what's, what's Luke going to say, yeah. you know, what's, what's Luke yeah. going to say, what big dramatic thing is Luke going to say when he gets the lightsaber and what's, like one by one, each yeah. one of those just gets thrown yep. off a cliff. It's, yep. it's not so much a smoke monster as it is. Wait for it. A Snoke monster. (laughs) 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 Boo! Can we we just comment on this a little bit? Because I think the the idea that you can dispense with the idea that you're watching a movie and that things that are true in the world of the movie are like necessarily true in in the watching of the movie. I want to suspend the idea for a little bit that like... This movie is allowed to say that everybody was stupid for speculating as to who Ray's parents were, as if it wasn't suggested at all in the first movie, in The Force Awakens, that Ray's parents were important, mysterious, somebody we knew or cared about, and that it mattered. Ray in the first in The Force Awakens is is she never really comes clean with what her intentions are. She's very mysterious. She just tells people, "Well, I'm here. I'm waiting for somebody, and and I'm you know I'm not going to tell you who I am or why I'm here or what's going on." But I'm really, really good at everything. Did everybody? Did did this movie totally manage to forget that too? How Ray has a talent for flying spaceships and and doing all sorts of crazy stuff. This was like a defining characteristic of who she was in *The Force Awakens*. That she has like tons of skills. Uh, I like, think that's I, I think that's the point. I think it's part of the point of the movie that you 
have, you, you know, you've got all these skills. You've got to be somebody important, right? Like your dad must have been someone really important. Otherwise, well, you shouldn't be, be able to do anything. In some way, right? Like by somebody. She's naturally hurt. force sensitive, right? Just like the kid with the broom. I think that's that. that I mean, that's a huge subversion, but I think it's very deliberate. I don't think it's yeah. just like, oh, they forgot about that they set this up. They set it up in, intentionally to subvert it, right? Right, right. But when at it, the same time, that doesn't mean that the interpretation of the previous movie was wrong. Right. To give a very specific, explicit uh, scene from the previous movie that was totally undermined, right? You go back and look at Ray's flashback when she touches the lightsaber, right? When she's being abandoned on Jakku. Um, you see that uh, uh, Unkar Platt, uh, you know the big guy, uh, snatches him by, by, by her by the arm, young Ray by the arm, and Ray's crying. And Unkar Platt says, "Quiet, girl." And Ray's looking up to the sky, crying, sobbing, despondent as a spaceship goes up with the ex- with the really uh, heavily implicit notion that those are her parents on there, and the parents were important. She's sad because the parents left in that way, and all those things matter. A lot, and to kind of toss all that out the window does feel like uh, a double cross, a bait and switch of sorts, and uh, and it's it's tough to deny that. I think it it does put a very different cast on that secretiveness of Ray in the first movie because you got the sense that she knew something about her parents that she didn't want to reveal, and now you, you find out that they're you know taking it at face value that they're like you know a dead in a pauper's grave somewhere. It makes all that stuff really sad. Right. Because it's like the kid being like, well, my dad went out to get some cigarettes, but he's coming back. Yeah. Like, yep. He's on a secret space mission. My mom told me like it just gets really sad when you think that she's like trying yeah, to play he, this all secretive. He, he, just, he just went out to get some blue milk. Right. <laughs> but here's here's the thing. If Ray remembers her parents, if she was old enough when she was abandoned to remember her parents, which I think the flashbacks in the first movie do imply, Kylo Ren saying to her, your parents were nobody. Do you think the people people who have poor parents don't think their parents don't have names, right? Like they're not nobody. They're they're you know Ray Reynold and Raynara. You know, like they're <laughs> they're Ray's parents. They're people. So, but they're th- not th- Skywalkers, right? Well, no, they're not Skywalkers, but, but the, the idea that they're nobody seems to be more for our benefit than for Ray's benefit or even Kylo Ren's benefit. I think it's very much for Kylo Ren's benefit because he has this sense of inheritance, right? His legacy is he's the scion of of of, of the the Skywalkers or of Darth Vader in particular. Like he's very into that. Yeah. And so he's trying to undermine her by saying, well, your parents aren't anybody that anybody's ever heard of, and therefore you should come with me. Like you can be important by virtue of your connection to me. Right. Otherwise, you would be nobody. You, no matter what you can do, because you're you, you that's not good enough. And that at least that tracks at least with what we know of of what he values. Right. Right. Yeah, I, I I mean I see the I see the point that you're that you're trying to make. Hey, did it, was anyone troubled that like uh, that Luke Skywalker pulled a uh, Luke Skywalker pulled an Anakin and uh, killed a bunch of kids or tried to kill a kid? <laughs> you know? Man, he considered killing a kid. There's a lot of good guys trying to murder a lot of people in this movie. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. He's gonna the younglings, the women, and not just the men, but the women and children. Oh man, it's rough. It's really rough. Do you think Luke Skywalker should have turned to the dark side when he tried to kill uh, Kylo Ren, or at least thought about it for just he, a second? Yeah, he thought about it, but he didn't do it. That's the thing, right? That these—that's the thing about these Skywalkers. They—they're um, kind of wishy-washy. <laughs> that's choose you know. a side. And a little bit like he's he's got the bad, you know, he's got the bad parent thing of like, mm-hmm. all right, at in 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 daddy's bedroom is a secret closet and you can never go in it. Your mind went straight to the secret closet. I told you not even to think about the secret, the secret closet. <laughs> yeah. you know, oh, man. What a, yeah. What a what a terrible fake father figure. Um 
that that he is. I don't know. Is that does the, the but he is he's the one you know hating on the Jedi and their their arrogance and their their hubris. He's almost criticizing the structure that we've identified in previous Star Wars movies where there's a supernatural plot uh, and a military plot that that don't necessarily intersect in all the ways that we might think they do because we cross cut back and back and forth between them. Just because you cut back and forth between two storylines that are progressing simultaneously doesn't necessarily mean the storylines are related, except for maybe thematically. Um, right? That that like uh, is this the is this the uh, the advent of the the of you know the woke republic where uh, <laughs> where uh, Jedi Jedi aristocrats and uh, you know old old establishment generals like uh, General Laura Dern and General Carrie Fisher, peace be upon her, um, are uh, are irrelevant and and it's all you know it's all the the po bros no, let, let, well, go ahead you you go ahead I, i'm uh, I assuming just, you know, yeah the dark side <laughs> is strong with me right now mm. <laughs> um i was just it's just that he hadn't he still hadn't yet learned that um failure doesn't mean yet you're worthless right the jedi failed and they really did and uh and yoda admits it but Again, like failure is the best teacher, right? Or I'm sorry, the best teacher failure is. Um, and and Luke hadn't learned that. Like he admitted the Jedi failed, he failed. Therefore, we must have been wrong all along because perfect people succeed and imperfect people are the bad guys. And that was wrong. And he had to relearn that or learn that for the first time. He, he had suffered setbacks um, in the original trilogy, but he had never really other other than like those momentary. Well, you know, power would be really nice, or it would be great to it would be great to be able to be angry and just flip out once in a while. But he'd never really said like, "What is all this about? Like, why bother?" Because we don't we're not perfect. We didn't win. What if the Jedi are so great? Why are they all dead? Well, you know, Yoda knew, but but Luke didn't know that that doesn't really track. No, it's called Order 66. It doesn't just happen by accident. (laughs) Right. (laughs) It's a little thing called Genosha. Uh, All right. (laughs) So, all right. Go. So so here's the way that you run revolution. Give in, Pete. Here's how, here's the, the Jedi, here's the last Jedi blueprint for how you successfully run a revolution. The first thing you do is you identify the voices in your revolution that represent the kind of old authority, and then you identify the voices in your generation that represent like the potential new way of doing things. And what you do is you don't listen to the other, the second voices, you you take this, the voices of the people who want to do things in a different way, and you forcibly silence them, and then you take the people who are the old guard, and you have them kill themselves. <laughs> just just run, either run themselves into the ground, destroy themselves, destroy everything around them, and then what you do is you go back to the people who have a voice that could matter, and you bequeath to them nothing, and you diminish <laughs> them, and you diminish any capacity they have to any sort of material difference they could make in the world. Like, basic ability to transport themselves, communication facilities, friends, kill their friends, blow them up. And the idea is that once they're utterly useless and powerless, they'll be the spark that will ignite a fire. That's the idea. The world is logs. There's just logs in space. And, and okay, and there's a million, billion logs, and you have to kill. It's a it's a ransom. It's an unholy pact. The, the is a blood sacrifice that needs to be made. Look, the tree of liberty needs to be watered by killing all the people who believe in liberty. All the time. <laughs> yes, yes, join me. Join me. I heard Kylo Ren is shredded. I heard he has an eight pack. Jeez. Uh, <laughs> so, does anyone else have this uh, problem? The, the upshot of it is that this movie lives in a very sort of comfortable sort of area of revolutionism where you can believe in the revolution as long as there's no possibility that it might actually happen. <laughs> that, like, that, like, Luke can try to overthrow the Jedi, but only a well over a generation after they're all dead. Right? right. Uh, and, and, like, and, like, Poe Dameron can 
commit this absurd mutiny and be thought of as harmless because, hey, I'm not going to bequeath him any military power anyway, and I'm going to be dead too, and we're all going to be dead, and it's going to be fine. So, like, Paul Dameron gets to be the resistance, but only after he's stripped of any ability to actually do anything. Uh, and that makes it comfortable for everybody because we don't have to deal with the implications of our revolutionary talk. We can just, like, pretend like we just say whatever we want. It doesn't matter. It's it's comfortable and harmless. I don't know. What do you guys think? Do you have a similar sort of problem with this, uh, the rhetoric in The Last Jedi of, like, we'll start a revolution by well, doing nothing? Because they, they have that line about the, the spark that lights the flame, and then they light the flame. Like, the beacons of Gondor are lit. They, you know, they send the signal out to all the, you know— rebel sympathizing people in the galaxy and you're waiting for like the cavalry to come over the hill nobody comes what what there isn't tinder like the spark is lit and it just dies like this is the jack london story where they die in the woods (laughs) the last jedi in the call is like hatchet all the while no it's the jedi it's well yeah subverts the the message of like, oh, they're going to go out to the galaxy and raise all the the people against the first order is like, they just tried that and failed miserably. Nobody came. This is your Life of Pi movie, Pete, where they actually do the tiger actually eats the kid, right? <laughs> like all of those kids uh, in at the end, the three kids, including the one force sensitive one with the the resistance signet ring, right? Like they're going to be summarily executed. By uh, you know, by the the remnants of the first order, and actually, like, there's a lot the of remnants. Do. Yeah, yep. and that uh, only if the return of the Coney is put off by the first order, because <laughs> Coney 2012 is really going to set all those kids free. Because <laughs> oh, the answer to any military conflict, child soldiers. I got two words for you: <laughs> one word, child; two words, soldiers. Child soldiers. <laughs> child soldiers. Well, you, you might just end up jacking it in San Diego. <laughs> Is that is that a Kylo Ren reference? I don't no, know. <laughs> that's a that's a Coney the Coney oh. 2012 director oh, guy. So sad. That was so sad. Oh yeah. my god. And, and also South Park sense. reference. This really is the darkest Star Wars movie <laughs> since Empire. This really. Is. <laughs> yeah, and you know, on purpose. Yeah. But still. Hey guys, remember that scene where they were going to shoot Finn, but they're like, "Let's make it hurt more," so they go to behead him. And it's like, and the beheading, right? The be- not just the beheading, but like, like, uh, like space beheading with an energy weapon, so that it will be really excruciating. Because, like, you know, beheading with a sharp knife, it's like your 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 spinal column is severed instantaneously. Your your perception, you know, blinks out. It's it's uh, you know, I guess it's gorier, but it's you know about as far as suffering is concerned, it's about the same as a firing squad but no they get they get the uh they get the torture sticks they get the um the you know paint <laughs> exactly yeah. that's exactly <laughs> where i was going or some kind of like american gladiator uh looking type <laughs> type weapon <laughs> and uh and in doing so take just long enough for um you know, Vice Vice Admiral Laura Dern to uh, to blow up all the spaceships for Ray to kill all the people in the Red Room of Pain, and uh, you know, just for- remember if bad you can kill bad guys as a good guy using the light side of the force as long as they have nunchucks, then it doesn't count. <laughs> people who don't have nunchucks are not allowed to stab, but people who have nunchucks they don't count in the force. That's, yeah. they've they've written their check. I mean, <laughs> they have their reward. <laughs> <laughs> Live by the nunchucks, die by the nunchucks. That's right. the rule. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. When when and everybody you, runs. At, oh man. Go when it. when when you fight in the street, do it not as the red clad you know S and M priests of Snoke do. Uh, they you know they fight waving their nunchucks. I tell you, they have their reward. But uh, Is, are there any other big movies where the climactic action sequence starts by killing the boss and then ascends to killing the minor henchmen? <laughs> Like is that? Can I think of any any other movie where it's like, well, we we got in there, we started the fight, we killed the boss, and now let's kill these people with no names and no faces? Inglorious uh, uh, bastards, in a way, where they kill. Spoilers are inglorious <laughs> bastards. Yeah, uh, yes, that's true. They, that's true. Well, the big bad goes, and then yeah. Um, but uh, just to, to put a cap on this here, uh, the, the, this movie, as we mentioned before, is highly aware of tropes in movies, tropes in Star Wars movies, and yet they trot out this incredibly predictable and really not effective trope of, you know, let's kill the um, let's kill the good guys in a very slow and convoluted way uh, to buy some time 
for the good guys to come in. I think that's the core frustration there, right? No, Mr. Finn, I expect you to die. I mean, my core frustration <laughs> is it does look like she's trying to behead him, and by all rights, beheading should hurt less than shooting someone. But, <laughs> my, well, it depends what, what you're beheading them with. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. If it's a Klingon pain stick, then <laughs> it gets complicated. Yeah. No, right. It, I mean, like, if it had been like, let's behead you, and then she holds up a butter knife. <laughs> but it's a space pain but yeah that's true that we'll cut his heart out with a spoon it'll hurt more <laughs> my issue with that scene is they just even with an unlimited special effects budget they still couldn't figure out a way of convincingly showing like how that scene ends with like the explosion <laughs> like we just cut straight from the blade literally on their neck to them unconscious in a burning, you know, hangar or whatever with no one around. Yeah. Like there was like an entire, you know, battalion of stormtroopers and they're all just all gone. And they just they couldn't even figure out how to do that. So just ah, we'll just wave it away with a star wipe and we're done. Right. <laughs> and Phasma's invincible. She has actual armor that works. Yeah, alone, alone among like her, her silver armor is made of unobtainium or something like that, right? Well, like, hold on a minute. Let me go to my local bookstore and purchase a book that I can read to explain this plot point in this movie because obviously that's the kind of research that you need to do to appreciate what's happening on a basic level in a Star Wars movie. Now, oh, you're talking like, about the Phasma backstory novel that you got. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like it's like from the Emperor's personal ship, right? And it's so it's not replaceable. Her her chrome uh, her chromed out, tricked out, wicked stance with rims on it. Uh, Stormtrooper outfit. Yeah. The the truth of it is is far more mundane, which is uh, that uh, Kathleen Kennedy walks in to a workshop where people are working on concept art uh, for the movie, and somebody drew this wicked cool stormtrooper in chrome armor not connected to the script or anything just like something that looks cool and kathleen kennedy's like that needs to be in the movie and that's why captain fastman is in these movies <laughs> i mean there's good a reason as any there is a sense where and, and just more or less all star wars movies are like the director playing with his action figures <laughs> like this movie yeah. definitely had a feeling of a kid just like and then finn and rose they go to the casino and then they go boom and then they go back and then you know it's just like kind of one thing after another all <laughs> and then Luke out. skywalker they're all like pew 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 and then he's like this isn't even my final form and he steps exactly. out but no, he's actually yeah exactly shadow clone <laughs> is uh, pete is is luke more a naruto figure or more a goku figure <laughs> that's really tricky because on one hand he steps out of giant dust clouds on Harnge, but on the other hand he meditates and projects shadow clones over long distances so i don't know i mean so the jury's really the jury's really out on this question i mean his lifestyle is more of a one-piece lifestyle what with catching the giant fish and living in the exotic islands so i could say it could go either way maybe in the next episode luke will come back going to a high school and just like oh i gotta go to the high school now and then i'm gonna go fight the bad guys and no one's gonna notice that his age isn't consistent with that of a high school student sorry the anime jokes people anime jokes <laughs> the worst okay. kind this is the lowest form of humor it's a wretched okay. hive scum and villainy speaking of luke skywalker present projecting himself across great distance <laughs> and also speaking of subverting star wars tropes right are we meant to read the final uh, quote-unquote lightsaber duel between luke and kylo ren as a lightsaber duels don't actually matter Kind of, uh, you know, slap upside the head to the audience uh, who has overindulged in Star Wars uh, tropes for too long. That's interesting. So, I, I maybe uh, I so, would I mean, say. Go for it. I think it ties into to what I've been saying, to what I was saying earlier about the Return of the Jedi. That very frequently the lightsaber, the or I say the winner of the lightsaber duel doesn't matter, at least in good Star Wars movies. Like the the prequels, a lot of the times, who wins the lightsaber battle is very important to the plot. Like right. Qui Gon, Qui Gon dies because he's not very good at fighting in lightsaber battles, <laughs> which is like a bad example. Whereas Obi Wan dies because it's like a contest of wills. It's this battle of good versus evil. It's like the spiritual battle. Uh, and so I think this does fit into the latter, where because it's a hologram, it really doesn't matter who's better at lightsaber fighting. Right. In this battle, yeah. It's you know it's it's Luke tricking Kylo using kind of the 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 light side. Finally, you know, the good is dumb, but in this case, uh, the light side actually, you know, manages to pull one off. <laughs> so the, uh, by the way, 
the people sitting behind me during the opening night showing where I saw this movie, which was a lot of fun. Don't get me wrong. It was great to see this movie opening night. There's at least one person in costume, a lot of kids. The teenagers behind me, there was one who really wanted to talk during the movie. And because of the seriousness of this being a Star Wars movie, the others managed to quiet him down for like about half of the movie. But then the various kind of weird, confounding, silly, bizarre things that didn't quite make sense kept compounding. And you could feel them lose the moral high ground to their friend who wanted to talk during the movie. And I, and I think the moment which really kind of really brought it to an apotheosis is when you're in the rebel base behind the giant magical door of metal that can't be blown up by anything other than this one thing. And, uh, and, and the hooded figure like walks in through the back door, of course, uh, which is of course a major plot point, but goes unremarked at the time. And as this figure walks up, the guy sitting behind me goes, dude, it's Mace Windu. (laughs) 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 And then it was just like, this is the, this is the, the, the crashing together of these different ideas about what the stakes of the battle are. Because you're right. If this were like the prequels and Mace Windu shows up, it's going to matter whether Mace Windu is able to beat Kylo Ren in a lightsaber fight. But it's not the prequels. It's The Last Jedi. And this is a movie where the light side wins by not fighting rather than by fighting. Uh, and as such, Luke isn't actually there and the lightsaber battle doesn't actually matter. So, yeah, I get I get I pick it up what you're putting down. Well, make uh, make uh, make men great. Wars do not. Or people. Is it people? Are we are we that woke now? I don't know. What? Uh, woke. Call I'm not men people. Wait, <laughs> like, it that's... might not be <laughs> actually okay. The, the quote from Yoda in Empire Strikes Back in response to uh, Luke Skywalker saying he's looking for a great warrior. Yoda says, "Wars not make one great." One. So very gender neutral there. Yeah. One. Uh, yeah. All right. There you go. Um, all right. Let's. Uh, well, we're we're. Uh, I guess podcasts do make us great, and I feel great after this one. <laughs> Let's just yes, put up... Yes, Matthew, yes! Feel the rage. We will rule... The podcast flow through you. <laughs> we, we will rule the podcast galaxy, us and Adam Carolla. <laughs> let's uh uh let's do one last round of comments good or bad light side or dark side anything else that you want to say on this film no particular order uh anyone feel like going first no all right i got, this is- <laughs> I got one uh which is you know to the extent that the star wars movies are you know people playing with action figures which i think is true even of the star wars movies we love would you really break them down uh, this introduces some really fun new characters. Like I, one thing that, you know, the force awakens did well was I really liked all the new characters. Uh, I really liked the new characters in this one. Uh, Rose was great. I, I feel like we didn't talk about Rose enough. She was a really fun new addition to the cast. So sure. I'm looking forward to, to seeing her, yeah. uh, vice Admiral Holdo was awesome. And I'm, I, I assu- can only assume that they've already greenlit a trail, a prequel trilogy starring just Laura Dern as vice Admiral Holdo. Uh, if they haven't, they really should. No, that's got to uh, I mean, maybe not a trilogy, yeah, but an anthology movie, right? Where that oh, sure. the battle that that was referenced yeah, is, you know what about. I mean? Yeah, yeah. And maybe, maybe we'll get to see her close her mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, close her mouth. Uh, okay, great talk, characters. Talk about, uh, some tropes. What about <laughs> and space space fenster from Usual Suspects was also great. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, good characters from Ben. All right, well, Ben, you, you started. You're first in the alphabet. So in order to restore uh, balance to the force, let's just go <laughs> in uh, Let's go in alphabetical order. Pete, uh, last comment. Look, there were things that I loved about this movie. There were things that I didn't love about this movie. But I got to acknowledge that this movie accomplished the impossible, which means that it panned over to a racetrack <laughs> – and I was disappointed that there wasn't pod racing. <laughs> that has never happened in a movie before that I've been disappointed that there wasn't pod racing in the movie. And the amount of just logic knots, and I don't know whether it's just he's playing 10-dimensional chess, Ryan Johnson, and he just achieved this thing that, that, that his entire goal was like, I bet I can make a movie where people wish that pod racing was in it. And and George Lucas said, you're on. He called 
Disney. Tell them, tell them you're going to do it. Uh, and, and, and they both laughed together and drank James. Oh God, this I, is a, this is a two decade troll by the two of them. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Look, man, that's what I call pod racing. Right? <laughs> <laughs> now that's what I call pod racing. Mark Lee next in the alphabet. Final comment. Hot take here. Star Wars has never been about airtight plotting, you guys. Okay. <laughs> it's about characters. It's about the epic sweep of good versus evil in the galaxy and a magical combination of sight and sound and music. And when those things come together in Star Wars, it's great. And it overcomes even the worst of logical plot holes. And those are things that didn't quite work in the in the prequels uh, too often, but in this movie worked out. So the good stuff, the light side outweighed the dark stuff. And uh, I liked it a lot. I, I did. Um, and I'm happy to add my thoughts there. We take all kinds of star pills to get all kinds of star thrills. That's from Mark Lee. Richard, final thoughts? Uh, yeah. Overall, I thought it was actually really, really good. Um I think that that whole the whole casino chase thing seemed to me like uh, an attempt to rewrite uh, episode two. In that it felt like the Star Wars version of that whole thing, which felt very un-Star Wars and I think is uncontroversially considered the worst of even the prequels. Um, but the worst of all Star Wars. And it seemed it seemed like there were a lot of visual parallels there. I might be imagining that, but it, it seemed like it. And like they were they were trying to go like, look, we can even make this we're even gonna try to make this good. Like we really wanna fix what um what we see as having gone wrong with Star Wars. And I think it really you know, and as a as a uh like as a metaphor for the whole new Star Wars movies uh, overall, I think it worked really well. I think they succeeded. Also, I'm really, really interested. I spent a disproportionate amount of, of time wondering about whether Laura Dern is natural purple head. Or whether that's a, whether that's a jai job. All right, trying to make yeah. up trying to make up for the mistakes of the past. That's from Richard and from me. Uh, all the talk about letting go of the past, of not holding on to the things that you thought you liked uh, from before, seemed to be aimed at fans of the Star Wars franchise and uh, b- partisans of certain interpretations or certain things of the the Star Wars franchise. Uh, as much as it was aimed at any of the characters inside the story of the movie. So remember, Ryan Johnson thinks you're bad for liking the things you like. And you should like the things uh, that he's going to make instead uh, in his Star Wars movie. All right, this has been the... uh, This has been... The Dark Side of the Force Last Jedi podcast. (laughs) Merry Christmas. (laughs) because <laughs> uh that's when uh that's when we're releasing this so uh you know we hope that uh that the holiday season is over now that it's over uh you're you're probably um you know like uh like ray on the planet jakku uh you know not getting enough portions um for her uh for her scrap that she turns in you're probably disappointed now that now that christmas is over hanukkah is almost a week over you know the gifts much of the gifts have been given you're probably very disappointed in uh, in what you've gotten so why not go give give in to your anger fear leads uh to hate hate leads to anger anger leads to the overthinking it gift guide where you can correct the mistakes of the past by getting yourself some cool gifts uh from amazon recommended by the overthinking or some awesome Otis swag. Get our lovably merchandised mascot on uh, all manner of soft goods, including shirts, hats, tote bags, and the like. I want to do socks. Would you? Would you buy Otis socks if we made some some uh, you know printed Otis socks? We might do that in the future. Head over to overthinking.com and, and check out the gift guide there because uh, after the giving, it's time for the taking, and it's yours for the taking in the overthinking it gift guide thank you very much for two weeks of awesome podcasting from my very good uh podcast friends uh richard rosenbaum mark lee 
Peter Fenzel and Ben Adams. Ben, a particular pleasure to have you on the Overthinking a Podcast. Uh, we don't talk to you enough, and it's a pleasure when we do. Thank you for for uh, everything you do on the site. Thank you, Matt. It was uh, it was great to be on one one uh, you know the last Jedi. Uh... Last, last Jedi hurrah. Uh, I, all right. Well, uh, next year is a new year. Uh, so we'll be back with more new Overthinking It podcast. Till then, visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It, it probably, probably doesn't, doesn't, doesn't deserve. deserve.